0: And Lily.
1: And you're listening to Just Just
0: Ghouly Things.
1: Hey, Boo things. And welcome back to Just Ghouly Things. And we are your beautiful hosts, Rebecca and Lily. Hey. So let's get right into this topic because I feel like this week's episode is going to be a pretty long one because Mm -hmm. it's a pretty in-depth type of topic so do you want to talk about it Lil?
0: so in case you can't tell from the title which i haven't told rebecca yet but i have one in mind and i think it's going to be really good i can't wait um we're talking about serial killers this week yes i'm so excited this is going to be a really
1: fun one i feel we talked about serial killers in a previous episode like a while back like yeah about the manson murders and but uh this time i don't uh, is it for you too that this like the serial killer is just like like just one person it's not like a cult group or anything
0: yeah yeah this is like the one like serial killer i'm looking at my hair and it's like going all different sorts of ways yeah i love it it's like well this is this on the right is coming from the back of my head and then this right here is like from the side of my head and it's just a whole mess
1: (sighs) all right well (laughs) lily do you want to start yours or do you want me to start I'll start. Okay, awesome. Okay, so,
0: of course, the one that I did was I just watched, which I'm sure a lot of our Boothangs have either watched or heard of, um, The Night Stalker. So, The Night Stalker was a serial killer in California throughout 1984 and 1985. And there is currently a Netflix documentary out. I think it's like four or five parts. And it... um talks about the two uh what's it called investigators yeah sorry the two investigators on the case um and basically it goes in depth right and there's a lot i'm just reading from wikipedia distractify and another website that i don't have listed but i'll post in the group Mm -hmm. and so obviously like you can't fit all of everything into a website and you can't fit all of everything into a Netflix documentary. So there's like some things here that, you know, you might not see in the documentary. And if you watch the, you know, documentary, you'll see things that aren't online. So just keep that in mind. So on June 28th, 1984, a 79 year old woman named Jenny Vinkow vinco was found brutally murdered in her apartment in Glassell park los angeles she had been stabbed repeatedly while asleep in her bed and her throat slashed so deeply that she was nearly decapitated there was a fingerprint found on a mesh screen which was removed to gain access through an open window hmm. so the second con- i'm trying to do these consecutively the second one really stood out to me um because this happened kind of like later on. Mm-hmm. So the first big case, this isn't even the first big case that they talk about in uh, the Netflix documentary, the Netflix documentary, they start with a case that happened March 17th, 1985. So, 22-year-old Maria Hernandez was attacked outside her home in Rosemead, California. She was shot in the face with a .22 caliber handgun after she pulled into her garage. She sur- um, she survived when the bullet ricocheted off the keys. So she basically, uh-huh. so Maria Hernandez had her car keys in her hand and put them over like this, over her head. And the just how the gun hit her, it ricocheted off of the keys
1: that's either a strong key or just pure luck.
0: Yeah. Right. So yeah. So inside the house though, her roommate, Dale Okazaki, who was 34, heard the gunshot. She ducked behind a counter, but when she looked up, she saw a man enter the kitchen and he was described as having crooked teeth, um, long curly black hair. And they said either a light skin, Hispanic, or, um latino or uh just like a tan caucasian male. Okay. With like curly black hair. So that's how um Maria Hernandez described him. Dale Okazaki did not survive. So she raised her head and she got shot in the forehead and was killed. Oh no. Yeah, so Dale did not live, but Maria Hernandez survived. And before So there was also a survivor, a little girl named Anastasia Ronas, I believe is how it's pronounced. Um, And this is interesting. So in February of 1985, so this is a month before that, she woke up to the sound of a window in her, her house being opened. And in a sleepy state, she said that he reminded her of, quote, a family member. So she went with him. He ushered her out the window and carried her, to his car by the time she realized something was wrong it was too late so he made her open the glove compartment in his car and he said just so you know like that's there i don't believe he actually said it i think it was in a way to be like you know just so you know that's there yeah if you know you know yeah so they get to their location a house And he puts her inside of a duffel bag. (gasps) He puts her inside of a duffel bag and carries her into his house. And she recalls the sound of, like, barking German shepherds and everything. So they get into the house. Mm -hmm. I'm, like, shaking describing this. They get into the house. He takes her out of the duffel bag, and he assaults her. Mm -hmm. So she described it as, quote, dark, and kind of dingy, I don't know, slimy. So he proceeds to assault her. She's six years old.
1: Oh my god. That's so horrid. Oh my gosh.
0: Yeah. So she, after what seemed like hours of torture, he put Anastasia back in the duffel bag and he left the house and drove her to a gas station and said, go inside, call 911, tell your family that You know, you're not home. They need to come get you. And this actually happened a couple of times with young kids, where he would let the kids survive. I wonder why. I don't know. So March 27th, 1985, right? So this is now, uh, oh, no, that's the Ramirez. Sorry. May 14th, 1985. Mm -hmm. The serial killer returns to Monterey Park and entered the home of a man named bill doy age 66 and his disabled wife lillian we share a name she's she's 56 he surprised doy in the bedroom and shot him in the face with a 22 semi-automatic pistol as doy went for his own handgun after beating the mortally wounded man into unconsciousness the serial killer entered lillian's bedroom bound her with thumb cuffs uh Sexually assaulted her, and then he ransacked the home for valuable. Bill Doy died of his injuries while in the hospital. Aww. Yeah. On the night of May 29th, so this is like two weeks later, mm-hmm. a stolen car is drove into Monrovia, California, and he stopped at the house of Mabel Bell, who was 83, and her disabled sister, Florence, also known as Nettie Lang, age 81. He, find, he found a hammer in the kitchen and he bludgeoned um, and bound Lang in her bedroom and then bound and bludgeoned Belle before using an electrical cord to shock the woman. Oh my,
1: oh my God. God, what a fucking psychopath.
0: Yeah, so the women were found alive two days later, oh. but they were comatose and Belle, uh, Belle didn't survive. So Mabel didn't survive, but I believe Florence did. The next day, Ramirez drove that same car to Burbank and he snuck into the home of Carol Kyle, age 42. At gunpoint, he bound Kyle and her 11-year-old son with handcuffs. He ransacked the house. He released Kyle to direct him where the family's valuables were. And then he assaulted the woman repeatedly. He also repeatedly ordered her not to look at him, telling her at one point that he would, quote, cut her eyes out, he fled the scene after retrieving the child from the closet and binding the two together with handcuffs. So again, he lets the kid free. He doesn't really, I mean, obviously he, you know, messes with these kids, but he doesn't kill the children.
1: It's like, in a way, it's like it makes him feel like, oh, I'm not that bad.
0: I don't kill children. I just yeah, right? Like, I may that. be, yeah. Oh, I, I murder adults only. Like, okay, good for you, dude. Yeah. So July 2nd, and I'm not going to go through all of these. I'm just going to go through a few because he's guilty of, I believe, like, 13 murders and, like, a person of interest in, like, 11 or some shit. Like, it's oh insane. Oh, my gosh. July 2nd, 1985, he drove a stolen... Oh, wait. I just did that one. <laughs> it's so much easier on my phone when I can scroll. I'm on my laptop. I have to use my keypad like an old lady. Um, First world problems. Honestly, so he... So, July 2nd, 1985, he drove another stolen car to Arcadia and randomly selected the house of Mary Louise Cannon, age 75, a widowed grandmother. After quietly entering her home, he found her asleep in her bedroom. He bludgeoned her into unconsciousness with a lamp and then repeatedly stabbed her. She was found dead at the scene. Oh, no. Three days later, he breaks into a home in Sierra Madre and he bludgeons 16-year-old Whitney Bennett with a tire iron as she slept in her bedroom. After searching in vain for a knife in the kitchen, he simply attempted to strangle the girl with a telephone cord. So mm-hmm. something interesting about the telephone cord is one of his victims, and you see this in the documentary, died like with, I believe it was like with a phone in their hand or something, died trying to call 911, right? Or one of the survivors called 911. So after that, phones were left unplugged, mm-hmm. right? He would like on. Un- plug them or he would cut the cord so if they had survived they couldn't call so like this woman also was used so let's keep going shall we i guess Uh, we shall yeah you have like literally no other choice (laughs) so i mean it's just the stuff is absolutely bananas so let's say okay now July 20th, 1985, um, Ramirez purchased a machete before driving a stolen Toyota to Glendale, California. He chose the home of Layla Needing, age 66, and her husband, Maxon, age 68. He burst into the sleeping couple's bedroom and hacked them with a machete, then killed them with shots to the head from a twenty-two caliber handgun. He further mutilated their bodies with the machete before robbing the house of valuables. So then he drives to Sun Valley. At approximately 4:15 a.m. he broke into the home of the Covenant family. He shot the sleeping I'm going to butcher this name. Chain China wrong, Covenant. In the head with a 25 caliber handgun, killed him instantly, then repeatedly assaulted and beat some, some it, it reads as some kid. I don't know if that's actually how it's pronounced. S o m k i d. Uh, he bound the couple's terrified eight-year-old son before dragging some kid around the house to reveal the location of any valuable items which he stole during his assault. He demanded that she quote swear to Satan that she was not hiding any money. Oh, yeah. I mean, and there is just all this stuff. So. Basically, I'm trying to think of how to put this simply. This guy's hard to trace, mm-hmm. with the exception of the 22 caliber handgun, right? That's the one thing that most of these have in common by now. Mm-hmm. We learn in the series that there was a footprint found at the three crime scenes early on and it's so sweet there were these two cops and one's like a seasoned cop and the other one's like this new guy who's like just excited to be on the case and their partners and they reminded me a bit of us because it's (laughs) like i think it's like frank salerno and Solaire knows all like business and like he's been there and he knows what he's doing. And then this guy Gil comes in and he's just like, Hey, I think these are all related. Do I know anything? And they're all like, I mean, probably <laughs> not. Right. So the dynamic duo. Honestly. So he's also hard, incredibly hard to track because of the fact that he has really no pattern. Right. Serial killer are called serial killers because. See, it's a serial crime series. Yeah. We understand words, right? So it's not just old people. It's not just disabled women. It's not just young people. It's not women. It's not men. It's not couples. It's anyone, right? And he's in Southern California. And then he goes up. He goes up to San Francisco, California, commits a couple of murders up there, just mm-hmm. some murdering up there, right? And then eventually, you know, they're thinking, are these tied? Are they similar? So let me find what happened in san francisco right so in san francisco august 18th 1985 he entered the home of peter and barbara pan he shot the sleeping peter age 66 in the temple with a 25 caliber handgun He then beat and assaulted Barbara, age 62, before shooting her in the head and leaving her for dead. At the crime scene, Ramirez used lipsticks to scrawl a pentagram and the phrase, Jack the Knife, on the bedroom wall. It was then discovered that the ballistics and shoe print evidence from the Los Angeles crime scenes matched the pan crime scene. San Francisco's then mayor diane feinstein divulged the information in the televised televised news conference so this is where that sucks they've been trying now for for such a long time right Mm -hmm. i mean there's like murder after murder after murder yeah and they're trying to catch this guy and the one lead that they have that they find that they put together was this avia sneaker shoe print and they say to the mayor You know, these crimes have been linked at the site of Peter Pan. There is an Avia shoe print. And she says, okay, good to know. She goes in a televised news conference and shows the wanted posters. And the two wanted posters look pretty much identical um, to each other. The, The police sketches look really, really similar. And then she goes, also, here's a shoe print we're looking for. So now... I wish you guys could see Rebecca's face. She's so pissed. So now the killer, if he sees anything, right, will know, shit, they know me by the size of my foot. They know all this stuff about me. So.
1: I can see where she's coming from in the sense of like, all right, like there's only so many things. Maybe someone out there that doesn't know about these crimes will see the news and they can recognize the person. But it just, it also just doesn't, actually help
0: yeah well it was really that's something that they talk about is like is it good to know is it not good to know and there's this uh incredible reporter who they talk about on the series who finds out about the shoe print before the mayor of san francisco does and shows up she's like tell us about the shoe print and the cops are like we know nothing what are you talking about someone on the inside had leaked that information to her and she's just looking for a story wow yeah. And they're like, yeah, no, there's no shoe print here, right? And I believe they ended up, like, cutting a deal. Like, we'll give you information, but we're not discussing that. Yeah. So it is said that he had been watching the press, and he dropped his size 11 and a half of VIA sneakers over the side of the Golden Gate Bridge that night. Wow. He remained in the area for a few more days before heading back to the Los Angeles area. On August 24th, 1985, Ramirez traveled 76 miles south of Los Angeles in a stolen orange Toyota to Mission Viejo. That night, he arrived at the home of James Romero Jr., who had just returned from a family vacation to Rosarito Beach in Mexico. Romero's son, 13-year-old James Romero III, happened to be awake and heard Ramirez's footsteps outside the house. Thinking there was a prowler, James went to wake his parents, and Ramirez fled the scene. James raced outside and noted the color, make, and style of his car, as well as the partial license plate number. Ramirez contacted the police with this information, believing James had chased away the thief. So this story is a little different um, in the documentary, if I'm remembering correctly. I believe the police say that he got on his bike and chased the car really yeah it was either Pretty ballsy. yeah i i remember something about a bike i literally could be wrong but that's just what i remember so what i should have done is rerun re watch the documentary and just taken notes but it's very very interesting so after this encounter right this failed uh, like this failed attempt at whatever he wanted to do that night mm-hmm. He breaks into the house of Bill Carnes, age 30, and his fiance Inez Erickson, age 29, through a back door. Ramirez entered the sleeping couple's bedroom and awakened Carnes when he cocked his 25 caliber handgun. He shot Carnes three times in the head before turning his attention to Erickson. Ramirez told the terrified woman that he was the Night Stalker. And forced her to swear she loved Satan as he beat her with fists and bound her with neckties from the closet. After stealing what he could find, Ramirez dragged Erickson to another room before raping her. He then demanded cash and more jewelry and made her, quote, swear on Satan there was no more. So, this one actually, I believe it was this sort of the last one. When he says swear to Satan, there was a woman who actually said, I swear to God I won't look at you, or I swear to God there's nothing more. And he said, Don't swear to me, swear to Satan. Don't swear to me? Like as if he's- Or, or not- don't swear to God. Sorry. Oh, oh, I was like, oh my Sorry, God, yeah, this I'm guy's like, an actual maniac. It. No, no, he goes, um, don't swear to God, I swear to Satan. And so she's like, I swear to Satan, I swear to Satan, right? So yeah. Erickson untied herself. Um, before leaving the home, Ramirez told Erickson, tell them the Night Stalker was here. So now he's gained the name. He gained the name a while before, right? They were trying to figure out a name for him and it was the Night Stalker. This guy bold. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of interesting stuff that actually went into tracking that uh, via shoe print. So Frank Salerno and Gil Carrillo, the prints left at the murders, um, said they said that it checked off across various shoe brands to find until they found right the shoe. Mm-hmm. So the killer's size was an 11 and a half, and it was linked to. Three different houses, as I said, and then more. So, Lorraine Rodriguez and her husband were lucky enough that Ramirez wasn't able to um, break into their home as they had done so in other cases. John was a police officer, so he found the very distinct footprints in the flower beds outside and even covered it with a box. to preserve it until the detectives arrived in case an animal, like a chipmunk, ran. I don't know if there's chipmunks in Southern California. But if there are, you know, there's none going near that footprint because of the box. Chippendale, you better get the fuck out. Yeah, honestly, Chippendale, it's none of your business. Um, In case it rained or something, right? So it didn't damage it, right? Amazing. We love that. So when they realized that the killer was sporting the pair of Avia shoes they did some digging they were able to match the prints they had to a specific shoe which was being ma- manufactured and the owner of the company even gave them soles of shoes to compare their prints to we love that so based on witness accounts and survivors it was known that the suspect would wear dark clothing and so it was likely he would w- he was wearing a pair of dark colored avia shoes was found out that there were only six size eleven and a half manufactured and given in the U.S. with five going to Arizona. So there was only one pair of these the sneakers in the whole state of California. What are the odds? Yeah, only only one pair went to Los Angeles, which is where Ramirez was on his killing spree. While they were unable to track the shoe any further, it was clear that there was a serial killer on the loose with the same shoe print being found across many crime scenes. When it comes to the Avia shoes, the biggest mistake, of course, was the mayor. So, honestly, like, I was talking with my coworker about this, and he was like, they'll really just make anyone mayor. (laughs) Uh, He's like, did they let her stay mayor? I'm like, dude, I don't know. I yeah. Clearly, clearly not smart. So that's how they track him down. Eventually, this is this becomes huge all over the state of California now, not just in Southern California in LA County. Someone knows someone who knows someone who hangs out at the Greyhound bus stop, right? No um, good ever comes
1: from a Greyhound bus stop.
0: <laughs> they track down a guy. And they say, listen, we're looking at your friend. We're looking for a guy named Ricky. And he's like, I don't know anything. I won't talk to you, you cops, blah, blah, blah. Sure enough, eventually they get the name Richard Ramirez out of him. Mm. Also, something that I completely forgot that isn't in the article that I meant to type in for myself is they released the information on him and had some evidence that said he would be going to a dentist office, a dental office, right? hmm They showed, one of the cops showed the, I think it was like a bite mark, showed the bite mark to someone and they investigated it and they are like, okay, listen, I can't tell you like what's going on, but like he's going to go back to that dentist. So the, they set up two cops undercover for like two days in the dental office And he doesn't come. They're like, okay, we're wasting time. We're going to put a silent alarm button behind the secretary's desk. Uh They call in at the end of the next day or someone gets a phone call. And they're like, yeah, why didn't you guys come today? He came in.
1: Where was this silent alarm button?
0: It malfunctioned. (gasps) No. Yeah. So they just keep missing him, right? All of a sudden he's up in, now he's in Northern California. Now he knows about the shoe print, now all this stuff. So he's, so let me see. Let me scroll down. You can edit this out while I scroll down and try to find. I'm going to add some music. okay so basically this is how they catch him and this is great this is all like my words speaking because i really didn't want to like copy and paste so basically what i have is richard ramirez is coming back to southern california okay right he comes back and he's on a greyhound bus Mm -hmm. and he notices holy shit my wanted poster is on the face of a guy reading a newspaper. Guy presses the button, goes to a phone booth, and calls 911. Richard Ramirez gets off the bus, right? Uh-huh. Goes in, um, and I think, like, he, he, he gets off, goes into a cigarette, goes into a store to buy cigarettes, right? And uh-huh. sees every newspaper has his fucking um, police what's it called yeah 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 has his sketch on it man wanted and he's like holy shit right so he's hopping buses he's trying to escape it and he can't and he gets so finally he gets on a bus sees it he gets off the bus and starts running right Mm -hmm. he tries he tries stealing a car maybe two cars right he's like beating people up give me your car give me your car give me your car right finally he just takes off running Richard Ramirez is running and people are calling. People are calling in. Finally, he runs. They said he ran across a highway. I don't know if they literally meant that. I don't know if it's like one of the highways by us that has a crosswalk sometimes. But this man ran across, I believe, like an interstate highway.
1: This story so is so going, wild that I believe that he just ran across a whole fucking, like, Garden State Parkway type shit.
0: Yeah. It, this is, like, the, the B-roll footage that they showed when they told it was, like, GSB-style, <gasps> like, intense, like, four-lane traffic. And he just, and with the divider and then another one. They're like, he ran. He just takes off running. And now there's helicopters, right? There's cop cars. And he's running down these suburban streets. All of a sudden, people see him taking off. Uh-huh. And, like, this neighborhood of people just captures him. They just, like, block him in, and they get him on the curb, and he's tired. And the cops teamwork. come. And he—the cops come, right? And he just gives up, right? They get him in the back of the car. And now, when you look at the footage of this from the day he was found, it's insane, this mob of people. Like, imagine, Rebecca, all of a sudden someone's sprinting, and you're like, holy shit, isn't that that guy that I saw on the news— yeah. And like Mike goes out with like a fucking bat, and he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah!" Like I got you right. Like that's insane. If Mike came chasing after me with a bat, I confess the murder too, just to get him to stop. That's Literally terrifying. angry mob style. I yeah, that. they formed like an angry neighborhood mob just to fucking stop this guy. So he's tired. He can't escape. Mm-hmm. He gets in the cop. He gets in the cop car. He looks around and he's like waving at people like he's a celebrity right and everyone's looking at him they take him to trial for like all these murders and all this shit like it's insane they take him to trial and he gets like groupies and like letters like like nudes like with like little writers that are like xoxo richard ramirez and they've got like pentagrams and shit and it's insane and there's (sighs) he's a terrifying man he is truly truly fucking terrifying when you if which you you have to I know I'm like the eight millionth person to tell you to watch that show Rebecca but you fucking have to everyone does even if you just google his mugshot his eyes are pitch black not dark brown pitch black I'm gonna look this up and And he's got he's got this stare that like even though you know he can't see you it feels like he's like staring into your soul
1: let me see. Why is this not loading? I need to, I'm looking this up as we talk.
0: It is insane here. I'm going to send you the exact photo that I'm thinking of.
1: Let's see. Let's see.
0: I, I like know it's a scary thing, Loki. Oh he yeah, like, he's a psychopath. He like held up his hand in court at one point and had a pentagram drawn in it, like in the palm of his hand. I mean, it's insane. And then there's this footage of him, like, looking um, back and, like, winking and, like, you know, like, going like this to, like, the groupies in court. And you're like, what? What the fuck? guy's
1: a sociopath.
0: Yeah, he's fucking, he's just, he's terrifying just in every single sense of the word. So, basically, let me see if I can find... there's this one picture and I'll post it on her Instagram and I'll post the slide number that I'm thinking about. Mm -hmm. But like, then you have this picture of him in court, like wearing sunglasses, like he's fucking slash or something. And he's like, and he's like loving this. Right. So it's, it's insane. So he is put on death row. Understandably. And he actually sat in jail on death row for, I think, like, close to 30 years. He actually, he died in prison, but he did not die from, he didn't die from any form of, like, execution. He he actually died from cancer. So, a little history on him, just before we go, just so that you really get to know the serial killer. His, so he was born in El Paso, Texas on February 29th, 1960. He was the youngest of Julian and Mercedes Ramirez's five children. His father, a Mexican national and former Ciudad Juarez policeman, who later became a laborer in Atchison, Topeka and the Santa Fe Railway, was prone to fits of anger that often resulted in physical abuse. As a 12 year old, Richard, or Richie, as he was known to his family, was strongly influenced by his older cousin, Miguel, or Mike Ramirez, a decorated Green Beret combat veteran who often boasted of his gruesome exploits and abuses during the Vietnam War. He shared Polaroid photos of his victims, including Vietnamese women he had raped. Oh. In some photos, Mike posed with the severed head of a woman he had abused. Richard, who had begun smoking marijuana at the age of 10, bonded with Mike over joints and gory war stories. Mike taught his young cousin some, some military skills, such as killing and stealth. Around this time, Ramirez began to seek escape from his father's violent temper by sleeping in a local cemetery. Richard was present on May 4th, 1973, when his cousin Mike fatally shot his wife, Jessie, in the face with a thirty-eight caliber revolver during a domestic argument. After shooting, Richard became... After the shooting, Richard became sullen and withdrawn from his family and peers. Later that year, he moved in with his older sister, Ruth, and her husband, Roberto, an obsessive, quote, peeping Tom, who took Richie along on his nocturnal exploits. So... This shit runs in the family. Yeah, Mike was found not guilty of Jesse's murder by reason of insanity and was released in 1977 after four years of incarceration at Texas State Mental Hospital. His influence over Ramirez continued. While still in school, he took a job at a local Holiday Inn. Um, Adolescent Ramirez began to meld his burgeoning sexual fantasies with um, violence, including forced bondage and rape. So, basically, while he was working at that Holiday Inn, he would use his passkey to rob the sleeping patrons. His employment ended abruptly after Ramirez attempted to rape a woman in her hotel room before her husband returned to find them. Although the husband that beat Ramirez senseless at the scene, although he beat Ramirez senseless at the scene, criminal charges were dropped when the couple who lived out of state declined to return to testify against him. He dropped out of high school in the ninth grade. And at the age of 22, he moved to California where he settled permanently. Wow.
1: Yeah. So it, it really does amaze me when you look back on a lot of these serial killers. I mean, more times than not nine times out of 10, you have stories like that of these people did not live normal lives. They were not yeah. given the opportunity. They just did not have, they just did not have the opportunity to grow into successful human beings that do good for the world rather than bad. And it's so sad.
0: Exactly. Like you're 11 years old and, you know, the person you, you know, look up to the most shoots someone in front of you. Like, that's insane. I actually do have to fact check myself on something. I have to correct myself. The police said that when he was on the bus, he was coming from, I think, Arizona or Texas to LA, not from Northern California to Southern California. It's a small detail, but I think that's what happened. I don't know. I was just jotting things down manically. Like, it was insane when I was, like, taking these notes of what I remembered. Um, An interesting little anecdote from this is also in the documentary, but I'm going to tell you guys anyway. Spoiler alert if you don't want to hear it. But um, do you remember the girl, Anastasia, who was six, and he assaulted her? In the duffel bag. Yes. And he put her in the duffel bag, let her out. So they brought her in for questioning. When so she didn't. She, she didn't. She yeah. So she didn't. I don't think she testified because like you can't. Like that must be just terrifying. Yeah. But they brought her in and they showed her a police lineup. Okay. And they put Ramirez in. So it's like one through I don't know, like six or eight or whatever I don't know. Mm-hmm. And they put him in the second spot, and they bring her in, and they sit her down, and they said, okay. Like, whatever, like, point out, you know, the guy who took you to his house and did the bad things. And she raised her hand, and he said, yes. And he go, and she says, in her little six-year-old voice, she says, do I write the word two or the number two? Oh,
1: and he was like. my gosh. Yeah. Oh, that's such a fucking sad scenario to be in. No child should ever have to be in that type of situation whatsoever.
0: So, well, be so young. It's terrifying. They said that it took three. So it took um, Gil and Frank, and there was one more guy on the case when they went to interview her to try to get her to, you know, try to talk to her and everything. And they said that none of them could make it. You know, they would get in there, sit down, start talking to her, and they would just break and leave because it was so heartbreaking. Oh, and um, she agreed to talk to Gil Carrillo and... Um her mom said or grandma or someone said something along the lines of, Oh, she likes you because you remind her of her teddy bear. Aww. and I think that's when he broke and he was like, Okay, no, send the next guy in. I can't do this. I yeah. can't because they're all just heartbroken. So <sighs> basically, this shit is crazy. Like Yeah. Um, that's why I could never I could never be a lawyer because I could never do closing arguments. I would be, just be like, basically, Your Honor, like bitches be tripping. That's the that That's honestly how I feel about this. Like, in short, it's it's almost like kind of the perfect criminal because he, for the most part, had no patterns, right? Yeah. There were a lot of, you know, Asian people, but they varied in age, you know? And then there were Hispanic people, and then there were children, but the children were let go. And it's hard to even link those together as serial murders with the exception of the shoe and the twenty-two caliber gun. But, you know... It seems like there wasn't a plan. It's, it's not like yet. it's not. It, it, yeah. I mean, it definitely seems like he knew like he would plan these things out. Cause he knew what nights he wanted to kill. Yes. Yeah. Because when he didn't get that kill at that one house, he went and killed somewhere else so that he and got he it. He wouldn't stop. He was relaxed. Like It's like he was, I mean, I'm sure that's part of like literally the definition, but he was addicted to killing. Like, I just need, I need, I need to kill someone tonight. You know what I mean? How people say like, that's one more drink or just one more anything. You know what I mean? That's me with shoes, personally. Right? Like, I just need one more pair of shoes, right? Except for I don't kill people. But what I I find fascinating is something that they talk about early on. And I actually learned this when I took abnormal psych at school for three weeks. Oh. I took it for three whole weeks. I learned a couple of things. I kept the book in case I wanted to go back. Spoiler alert, I did not. (laughs) But there's this thing and there's like a phrase for it where, especially in that first case is when they addressed it, where, you know, the first woman, right. Dodges the bullet or she doesn't dodge it. It ricochets off her keys. Right. Mm -hmm. And that again is, well, I didn't kill her. I got to kill someone. Right. So he goes and he kills her roommate. He easily could have snuck up and just killed her, but he Uh waited until she, he, she knew he was there because he wanted to see the fear in her eyes. Yeah. That's right. And, Psychotic. Right? And he's just got these terrifying, terrifying black eyes that are just holes. And there's this one picture that if you look at it, his head's kind of crooked in it, and his eyes are facing. It doesn't even feel like a photograph. Like, it looks like you're, like, it has the impact on your, like, mind as if you're FaceTiming him. Mm -hmm. And he's like, like, like I can't even, I can't even, I can't even reenact the crazy eyes. It's insane. So, Yeah, he's just oh god, but yeah. So between that and the fucking the groupies sending him nudes while he was in jail, while he was on trial, then while he was in prison, and like the women like getting dressed up to go to his court appearances, like what? Yeah, yeah. Um, That's just mental. That's literally mental. Yeah. Oh, that was a rough one. So yeah, um, everyone watch Night Stalker on Netflix. I'm not uh, affiliated with them, but it is really, really good. And it's like my new Evil Genius, where I watched Evil Genius three times and I might watch Night Stalker three times as well. Three times a charm. Absolutely. Okay, Rebecca,
1: what do you have? Okay, so my serial killer takes place many, many moons ago. Probably
0: yeah, I mean. Sorry, I dropped my phone. Continue. Uh, I mean, over a hundred years
1: ago, pretty much. Um,
0: he is it who I think it is. What'd you say? Is it who I think it is? I don't. I don't know. Who do you think it is? Well, I don't know. You said hundreds of years, and I thought Jack the Ripper, but I could. be... Oh, well, wondering. not
1: like hundreds, like like a hundred years ago, like in the okay. early
0: 1900s. Okay, who's this?
1: This is. I've never heard of him before.
0: Is it AJ I, Holmes? No. Oh.
1: No. So this serial killer is Albert Fish, and I have never heard of him before, but I watched this YouTuber called Eleanor Neal, and she does like every day, uh, like every day she does a video on true crime serial killers, and she's, she's great. She's from the UK, so her accent's very addicting to listen to, and she does a fantastic job doing her research. So pretty much most of my information that I'm going to be Talking to you guys about today comes from Eleanor Neal's video on Albert Fish. So if you want to check that out, we'll post the YouTube link in our private Facebook group. Go join our private Facebook group at
0: Just Coolie Things Podcast group.
1: And I will be posting a picture of Albert Fish on our Instagram as well with Lily's picture probably. So follow us on Instagram at
0: Just Coolie Things Podcast.
1: So I do want to put a trigger warning out there before I start this. Um, Oh shit, I should have done that too. Yeah, this one includes very inappropriate situations with children um, of all kinds. So I don't want to give it away, but if anything involving children triggers you, like this is not the story for you, um, and you could just end it here or listen you know, at the end to see our socials and stuff like that and then follow us. But if you're okay with listening to this, as okay as I guess you possibly could be, then here we go. So okay. Albert Fish wasn't born with the name Albert. Uh, His real name is Hamilton Howard Fish, and he was born May 19th, 1870 in Washington, D.C. And this serial killer had many different nicknames, including the Gray Man, the Werewolf of wisteria, the Brooklyn Vampire, the Moon Maniac, and the Boogeyman. So I'm going to start, you started at the end telling all his Beginning information, family history. I'm yeah. in the very, very beginning of Fish's okay. life. So, for starters, his parents had a 43 year age difference.
0: What? Uh, yeah, did people even live to be 43 a hundred years ago? I, I guess so. Um, and he ended
1: up being the youngest sibling, so he had had a couple others. He had like I think three or four siblings that were older than him. And then he had a couple that like had passed away that he didn't Mm -hmm. really know. Um, but there was history going back that most of the family members had mental illnesses, um, that were diagnosed. Someone to psych wards came out. Um, so there was just a recorded history of mental illness in their family, just right off the bat. Um, and when the dad died at age 80 from, I believe it was a heart attack. The mom couldn't work and take care of the kids at the same time. So, mom, So just temporarily, she put her four kids in an orphanage. And at that orphanage, Albert was constantly abused and he was made fun of and called ham and eggs. So, I guess, like, it's, I guess, because like Hamilton kind of sounds like ham and eggs.
0: That an- could be it. I yeah. mean, there was an old phrase, ham and egger, that I've heard before. What does it mean? Like, maybe that's where... An ordinary person of little consequence. Okay, yeah. It's probably coming from yours. Hamilton, yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, So over time, he just got so sick of being called Hamilton that he took on the name Albert. And Albert was actually the name of his deceased brother. So he took that name on in honor of him. Okay. Um, Not only was he abused verbally, but he was also whipped and beat by the kids. And at some point, he was beaten so much there that there was a turning point where he realized he actually enjoyed getting beat. And over time, when he would be getting beat by these boys, he would start getting erections and then he would get beat even more by these guys and also being called homophobic slurs on top of that. So very, just, just to start to a very weird thing Um, and being beat by these boys uh, is where his hatred of people was triggered. Um, okay. So at age nine, his mom finally came back and took the kids back home. And at this point, um, Albert had become a bedwetter and he was running away from home. Um, and there wasn't any reported abuse at his house, but I mean, he probably like back then... Discipline was just beating the shit out of your kids. So he probably beat yeah. at home and like wanted to escape that. Um, yeah. And, um, and at a young age, like at around nine, 10 years old, he began seeking out sexual satisfaction by going to the town pool and watching boys changing in the changing room and then masturbating to them. Um, okay. Yeah. And his first sexual experience was at 12 years old with another 12 year old and it was more than just what you think of, like, a typical sexual experience. They would drink each other's urine and eat each other's shit. Yeah. It was very fucking wild. Yeah.
0: Not for a million dollars.
1: Literally. Maybe, I mean, Not maybe, for maybe a million dollars. Maybe 15 million, but not 1
0: million. You know what? I would consider it. For, for like a hundred million or a billion like you know what oh a billion no.
1: dollars a billion dollars place a whole plate of shit on my plate I'm eating that <laughs> are you kidding me okay weird
0: fact about Rebecca um <laughs> <laughs> you're about to get a billion dollar Venmo you know that right someone's gonna try to Venmo. Bezos, call me man <laughs>
1: So anyway, um, at age 15, he fell from a tree, leaving him with a very severe concussion that ended up affecting him for the rest of his life. He would get massive headaches throughout his life, and he also would slur his words a lot and would stutter. Um, And his mom and him at one point moved to New York City, and that's where he became a male prostitute and would also molest boys, preferably six years or younger, where they molest. Yeah. He would also find personal ads in the paper, like there were the type in newspapers, because obviously they didn't have online ads where people could be like, hey, looking for, uh," like telling themselves, like telling a little bit about themselves or looking for a secretary job or, oh, looking for someone to buy this off me or looking for- The
0: classifieds. Yeah. That's what the classifieds were, right? Yes. Yes, And he
1: would then take those addresses from those ads and write extremely grotesque letters to these women. Um, I don't know exact details of what those letters were, but apparently they were just super, super fucked up. Holy shit. He then became a painter and his mom arranged for him to marry a 19-year-old, which at this point, this 19-year-old was 10 years younger than him. And together they had six kids but just because he was married and because he had six kids, that didn't stop his affairs. And he was having affairs with men left and right, and just was not hiding it.
0: And it seems like the wife. You knew- know what? Don't live your truth. If you don't want to be married to a woman and you want to ha- and you want to hook up with guys, live your fucking truth. But don't hurt people in the process, Mike. Nice that's all. That- that's that on that. But apparently, and on
1: top of it, the wife knew that stuff was going on, but she just really didn't seem to care. Like, she was like, all
0: right, whatever. Um, well, so- some, a lot of people, and you still see this today, you know what I mean? Some people don't even care if their partner isn't happy. They just want to be married. Mm-hmm. They don't even care. They don't care if there's an affair, just as long as no one else finds out, because they just want to be married. And I guess, not even be married, but just look married. You know what it I mean? Has- Have two kids and a dog and a husband. And, like, the husband, you know, leaves at night, you know, to have an affair. But as far as, you know, your parents know and your social circle knows, you're happily married. A lot of people still do that.
1: hmm hmm And uh, one day in particular that he went on with one of his affairs was to a museum where he saw um, on display a, an art form of a dissected penis. And it triggered his interest and gave him the desire to want to castrate men's penises. So he would start at this point, he loved self-harm and he would start inserting needles into his groin so far that they would get stuck and he would just keep them there forever because they were just like stuck in his groin. And later on, he needed to get an x-ray and they found 29 needles stuck in his groin.
0: Holy shit, like I am speechless by everything you're
1: telling me. Oh, it gets, it gets crazier. So strapping, Okay. And then in 1903 at age 33, he was jailed for embezzlement. And when he came back from jail, his kids began reporting that he was just really going off the deep end. He began hearing voices and apparently these voices were telling him that he was the second coming of Christ and that he was meant to castrate little boys. Oh no, 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 no. And in 1910, he began grooming this 19-year-old boy named Thomas Kedden, who was mentally disabled. And he knew that this boy was mentally disabled, so he took full advantage of him. And he tortured this boy for two weeks in a farm and at one point planned on killing him, but realized that because it was the summer, he couldn't. Because if he killed him, the body would decompose quicker and the smell would be very rancid and he would be found out. So instead, oh, he knows. So he knows his shit. Yeah. So instead, he grabbed a pair of scissors and severed Thomas's penis and <sighs> later noted that he savored Thomas's screams. <sighs> so then, Fish bandages his wound, gives him 10 bucks. It's kind of like a thanks for letting me to do this kissed him and <laughs> awesome. yeah kissed him and said okay you can go and clearly Thomas never came out and said anything or if he had to police nothing was ever done about this. Of course not um and it is it is reported that the wife of Fish most likely didn't know about this occurrence either. But I think the reason why Albert's wife really didn't care about stuff he was doing was because she was doing her own thing with another man and ended up leaving him in the middle of the day, left the kids too, and just took things of value with her. Like took like half of their belongings. I love leaving a
0: man with his money.
1: I mean, I feel bad for the kids, but I mean. That's true. That's true. There are children involved. I forgot about that. So then the kids start reporting that at one point he would wrap himself in a carpet saying that the apostles told him to do that. And that he was told by these apostles to become a cannibal. So
0: holy sh! This is this guy's just uh, off the rails. Just always he's like you, always working on a different project. <laughs> so <laughs> he started. I, lo- I love
1: that comparison because that is so <laughs> scarily true, um, right? Either and then you got a
0: bunch of shit going. Except I'm, I'm, i I'm I have I have a lot of faith that you won't like castrate anyone or murder me. So I mean, I say, I'd like to say that killing someone. at,
1: and it's not on my list. So no. don't worry, guys. Um, but so he, he was told to become a cannibal. So he started eating raw animal meat. So it was just yes. animal meat at this point. Um, it is noted, too, that he never abused his own children. But in a turn of events, he would have his children abuse him. So one example was he would have a child get on his back, like playing around okay. with them. And he would have them hold up fingers And if he guessed the wrong number of how many fingers they were holding up, they got to beat him. And at the end of the day, this was all for his own sexual pleasure because he loved getting beat up. So I guess they were, in a way, getting sexually abused, but, like, they weren't realizing, like, what was
0: going on. Yeah, because they, like, thought it was a game or whatever. Yeah.
1: So um, Fish would go to brothels and have prostitutes hurt him um like literally just go there and be like just here's like x amount of money just beat the fucking shit out of me and sometimes yeah right sometimes it was they didn't even have sex like he was just like yeah just beat the shit out of me and like i'll get off on that so um there was he was getting so much into like self-harm that at one point lily you need to listen to this everyone sorry i was just sliding you over oh no i'm not even no I, i was just saying that as like this is like the most fucked up part one of the many fucked up parts, actually. He would take a soaking cotton wool in lighter fluid, shove it in his ass, and
0: then light it on fire.
1: Yeah. Oh no. Yeah,
0: yeah. Like you I, wanna know what's you want to know what's terrible, like what's oh. absolutely terrible about my fucking brain, but also the reason that like you definitely wanted me on this podcast <laughs> is because as soon as you said that fucking firework by Katy Perry came into my head <laughs> I don't know I can all hear here is just if he had
1: TikTok at the time he definitely would have put that as his music background yeah. for
0: sure so um <laughs> well, so then that. so I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to laugh at like his self-harm I'm, I'm laughing at the imagination of like someone playing in the
1: background like, yeah
0: exactly that's what's no funny sad.
1: So then this then progressed to hurting other people. He began stabbing and attacking disabled and black men because he believed that no one would care if they were injured. Um, And unfortunately, that did hold some truth because he got away with all of those assaults. Yeah. And in 1924, at the age of 54, he was walking and noticed a little girl in a field and her name was Beatrice Keel, and she was eight years old and he asked her to help him collect rhubarb. And she was hesitant at first, but he offered money. So at that point she was like, yeah, sure. Of course. Fortunately, Beatrice's mom saw her daughter walking away and grabbed her daughter and chased him away. But he didn't just stop there. He came back (sighs) and hid in their barn. But then the family found out and then the father chased him away. So then he was like officially done. Like he was like, okay, I really like, I can't pursue that.
0: I like that nobody's calling the police in this situation.
1: I, I guess like back then, like it just wasn't the same. Like, it clearly this was farmland. If they, if he did run away, like by the time the cops would have shown up, I don't know. That's true. That's
0: true. That's true. Yeah, the cars weren't family even family. really a thing, right? Well,
1: yeah. I I mean, they were, horror, I think, but
0: but it wasn't They certainly weren't like the fucking cop cars that can go like one twenty an hour. So thousand percent.
1: So then, um, he went and tried to harm two boys, and at this point, he created. Uh, weapons that he would call the implements of hell. They were three weapons that were used to torture, mutilate, and murder children. And those three weapons were a butcher's knife, a meat cleaver, and a small handsaw. So, yeah. So his first two attempted victims were were these kids named Cyril Quinn. And uh, actually, I don't know the other kid's name, but it was Cyril Quinn's friend. Um, Okay. At this point, Cyril Quinn had been being groomed by Albert Fish and had been molested by Fish at this point. And I guess Cyril Quinn kind of just was like used to it and didn't really see the like, what was fucked up about it at the time. Okay. So eventually Fish gained his trust and lured him and this, guy, this kid's friend in for dinner at their house. And he put them in his room and said, stay here. I'm going to make you guys sandwiches and then I'll come back. So, of course, the kids are just playing around in his bedroom together, and they knock a the mattress a little off of, like, the bed frame, and underneath the bed was Albert's implements of hell, those three weapons. And so these kids see this, and they just freak out and run out of the apartment. They just run past him. Good. They, I mean, they, they ended up fine. So Albert wasn't prepared for that, and because he didn't get his fix, he struck again four days later. And on July fourteenth, nineteen twenty-four, eight-year-old Francis McDonald was reported missing by her parents when he didn't come home from, laying, uh, from playing with a friend. The friend said that he left with a gray-haired man, and one neighbor said that they saw a young kid walking into the woods with an old man. So there were some consistencies: young kid, old man.
0: Okay.
1: Unfortunately, Francis was soon found by Boy Scouts in the woods, and he was sexually assaulted and strangled by his own suspenders. And the suspenders were so tight around his skin that it was actually embedded into him. Stop it! And before he was killed, there were plenty of slashes on his body, and the killer even began to skin his calf, like oh, he was no. still alive. Holy shit. Um, and later, when obviously, inevitably, Albert Fish uh, was caught, he said that he wanted to castrate the boy, but he heard noises in the woods, so he just killed him and left. So this was taking wow. place in Staten Island, may I add? This is I was about like, to ask, where the fuck is all this happening? Yeah, this is like, yeah, this is kind of in a way close to home for us. Holy so um, Francis's father was actually a cop and was asked to move And asked to move to his son's case so that he can personally find whoever killed his son. And in the autopsy, they could tell that Francis was eating raisins, and that none of the friends had raisins. So it was most likely that he was lured by the guy with raisins. So um, that was like one little detail that didn't really help with anything, but it was just a good detail. But it's something, yeah. It's a time frame sort of thing. So then, many men were arrested and charged for his murder but they were always released because they never could find enough evidence. But during all this, I was never a suspect. was never brought up. I mean, completely off the mark. Stop it. So then um, four-year-old Billy Gaffney was playing with his other friend named Billy. And this younger Billy's friend's brother um, was playing with them too, went back to their apartment. And when the older boy came back, the four-year-old Billy wasn't there. So the three-year-old Billy, whose brother with the, with the older kid, said that, quote, the boogeyman took him. And so that's okay. why the name boogeyman came to be associated with Albert Fish. Got it. Billy's body was never found. But the reason for that is most likely because Al has said to have eaten him and mutilated his body. He said to have drank his Ooh. blood, chopped up his body, and ate it with veggies.
0: You know what? As soon as you said his body wasn't found, that's where my mind went. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But then you said it and I still got freaked out, even though I was thinking it. Yeah. So then May, uh, so then May 28th, 1928,
1: um, Edward is looking for, uh, is looking at a newspaper, um, like a classifieds, and sees that, um, I'm sorry. Edward is a boy in his late teens, and he's looking for work in the newspaper, like one of the classifieds, like I was saying before. And Al saw this as an opportunity to have him work at his house so that he can easily kill him at his house. Okay. So at the time, Al was 58, and he looked trustworthy and had reached out to the guy's family, but he introduced himself as Frank Howard. So the plan was was that Edward was going to come back with Al to his house, work for a couple of days— and Al's plan was to tie him up, mutilate him to the point he would just die out bleeding. But then, oh, okay, yeah. But then, when Al went to meet the family and take and take Edward, he then realized that he wanted to kill Edward's sister, Grace. But so he said that he still wanted Edward to come with him to help out at the house, but asked if Grace could come with him to his niece's birthday party. And Grace was like, please let me go. Like, that sounds so much fun. And the parents are super uncertain. Like, we really don't know this guy. It sounds weird, but I guess she persisted so much that she wants to go with this guy to this to his niece's birthday party because the way he was describing the birthday party sounded super fun. This girl's super young, you know? Like, I just want to make friends. That's
0: fair, yeah. yeah. I just I just want to wear my fuzzy bunny slippers to a sleepover. Like, you okay. just, you, know, you Yeah. So then
1: the dad eventually said, sure. And al said amazing he promised to have grace back by 9 p.m so that
0: he could pick what up a grace. kid's birthday party goes until nine. mine were done by 4:30, the latest yeah so he said i'll pick i'll drop grace off and then pick up edward by 9 p.m
1: but guess what he never showed up to drop off grace so then immediately the family starts freaking out they went to the nearest playstation reported her missing and they said that a guy named Frank Howard took her and they looked in the records and a Frank Howard just didn't exist.
0: So of course- You know what? What? IDs didn't used to have photographs on them. It used to just be a card. Makes sense though. With like an ID. No, I, this is like up until like the 80s, I think. Like my mom was telling me she remembered having a, like an ID without a photo. That's Continue. But yeah, that's why you could just be like, yeah, like my name's Johnny Appleseed. Don't believe me? Here's a little card. You know yeah. what I mean? Well, they thought times have
1: changed. So, um, so the family obviously had a good description of the man and missing grace posters were missing grace posters were blasted all over, but nothing ever came of it. The only thing that they could get was that the telegram that Albert fish originally sent to the family saying that he was interested in their son's work was from East Harlem, but they couldn't track specifically. I mean, it was a telegram office, so it's not like yeah. it would have been his place of residence. Yeah, Someone actually served three months in jail for Grace's murder, but then it was found out that it wasn't him and what happened was, is that the wife and him g- must have gone into some type of tiff and actually, in a way,
0: framed him to make it look <laughs> Wait, was a girl. I saw, I saw something on the news that was like, yeah, like, so-and-so was revealed to have stormed the Capitol after ex-wife sees him on news. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah. That's ex-wife shit right there. So then the case went cold for six years. And
1: at one point, Albert Fish sent a letter to the family of everything that he did to Grace. So there's copies of the letter online, but I'm just going to go through like a quick little summary of what he said. So he said he took Grace to an abandoned farmhouse. He had picked it out prior. He went inside and told her to wait outside, removed all his clothes, and he looked out the window and saw that she was picking like little sunfl- uh, little flowers in the meadow
0: Oh, my God. That's and so innocent. So
1: he then calls her from, like, outside the window saying, hey, come up here. And so he, she went in, he hid, and then he exposed himself. And when he did, she started crying and was scared, and then he <gasps> attacked her. He then removed her clothes, and she was fighting back, but unfortunately, he overpowered her and strangled her. He then decapitated her, chopped her body, and ate her for nine days.
0: Holy shit.
1: Yeah. So then the police compared the handwriting to the original telegram to the, and the letter that they received. And they were able to confirm that like, yes, this is the same guy that picked up your daughter. Like this isn't just someone just being a sicko pretending to be this person. Yeah. So then the police took the envelope from this letter that they had received and saw that it was a company. Um, I'm not sure what the company was called. But then they called that company and asked who would have X ex- um, have access to this envelope, like this, this, this specific type of envelope. Yeah. And the janitor came forward. He said that he took a bunch of letterhead home with him, but he had left a bunch at his old house when he had recently moved. So they go to the old place where he had lived. And the landlady was asked who lived in the janitor's old place. And she said the name Albert fish. But they were super confused because they were looking for a Frank Howard. But they gave a description of what the man looked like. And she was like, that's Albert Fish that you're looking for. That's him. So the building was on surveillance, but Fish never came back to the house, even after a month. So at that point, the police knew that they were on to him. The police knew that he knew that they were on to him. Got it. Then they pretty much went to the landlady and was like, look. If he ever decides to show up, just stall him, call us, and, like, we will come arrest him. So sure enough, four (laughs) months later, they get a call from the landlady, and uh, she pretty much just said, like, hurry up. I have him sipping tea, having drinks with me, um, having a little bit of food at my kitchen table. Just hurry up. So then the police come, and Albert couldn't even fight this detective because at this point, Albert was super old, and that's when he was brought to the police station. He admitted to everything. He committed hundreds of attacks and he said that he had quote, a child in every state.
0: Oh God.
1: Yeah. Um, but he was only charged for three murders, but it's assumed Why? he had, um, because those are just three murders that they like, that he knew the names of, that they were able to have enough evidence that it was him. Got it. Um, but it is assumed that he has killed more. Uh, during the trial, the guy was completely emotionless. He, um, During custody, he would continue to self-harm with chicken bones that he would get from lunch. And he would st- stick it in his mouth. And then he would go back to his cell. Then he would, like, uh, sharpen it. And then just start stabbing himself with the chicken bone. Oh. Um, And this was like, they weren't thinking it was a suicide attempt, they just think that because he previously loved to self-harm himself, like, it was just a part of his sexual pleasure. Yeah. Um. So then he pleaded not guilty by reasons of insanity, but on March 21st, 1935, he was found guilty of all three murders and sentenced to death by the electric chair.
0: Wow.
1: He then died by electric chair. And... His attorney would then give an interview to the press about how Albert had given him his final statement, like his final words to the public. Okay. But according to the attorney, it was so dirty and so grotesque of a letter that he vowed that he would never show anyone this letter that he received.
0: Stop it. So now we're never
1: going to know? Unless I, I, unless something has come out that I didn't see, yeah, we will never know what was Albert Fish's final statement. And I think some things are better left unsaid. And that is the serial killer Albert
0: Fish. Holy shit!
1: Yeah. And I think a couple times I accidentally said Alfred, but it's Albert. I'm sorry if I said that. Um, I feel like I said that. I'm not sure if I did. I'll listen back.
0: But, yeah, it's Albert Fish. You know, I think I like that you did the childhood first to kind of paint the picture and you can kind of relate it back. Yeah, you kind of
1: have to with this one because it literally goes from zero to 100. I mean, everything in his life chronologically leads to what he ends up doing. Like, it just all sadly makes too much sense of what happens.
0: I mean, yeah, that makes, that's what, because, like, the way I did it, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to reveal the identity and then be like, so who is Richard Ramirez? And Mm -hmm. then do a biography at the end. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure people just, like, didn't, aren't going to care for that, so... Shockingly, Rebecca formatted her her um, section better than me. My format but- is
1: just because Eleanor Neal did a fantastic job of covering this story. So shout out to her on YouTube. She is amazing. She has like I think she has like million subscribers on YouTube. She's awesome. I'm
0: gonna I'm gonna follow her because like yeah, I I just feel like in both these instances like. It just shows, like, be kind to children even when they're not yours because, like, who knows what some of those kids who were harmed grew up to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, because these, like, you look at Richard Ramirez and what is it? What's his first name? Who? Oh, Albert. Uh, it's, it's Albert, yes. Albert, Albert Fish. And Albert Fish. And you see that they had tough childhoods. Mm-hmm. So there's a multitude of reasons not to do any harm mental or physical to children. But like one of them is like, they might grow up to be a serial killer because of you. So like, maybe don't. (laughs) That's the takeaway from this week. You know what I mean? Like maybe hold off on the fucking with children because like, they'll just kill more people. Yeah. And then those, and then wait a minute, big brain moment. And then those people get hurt, right? Those kids get hurt and then they grow up. So like, clearly it's a vicious cycle. So just like, Cut it out, guys! A magic domino effect. Yeah, I mean, I would also just like to state that I like we both deeply apologize for any nightmares you have. Yeah. At the end of the day, like we didn't force this episode on you, so please don't hate us. Yeah, I
1: mean it's weird because like I I listened to her YouTube video like two times. Mm-hmm. But the first time I, I listened to it, it was, in, it was very quick. So I was like, "Let me see if this is a story that's worth doing a episode mm-hmm. on." Yeah. I immediately knew this was something that I want to do. And then the second time was when I t- I watched the video to then take notes. Yeah, and I think it's because I was so busy typing notes and l- kind of just just um, I was l- I was hearing it, but I wasn't listening to what she was saying. That when yeah. I read it now during the episode, I'm like holy
0: shit this is that's, fucked. that's you kind know, of how I felt like I was I when I watched the documentary you know I started watching with a friend and then I finished it just like with my mom mm-hmm. and it was like you're watching it. you're like whoa that's crazy hearing it and I should have watched it again and just taken notes that would have been so much easier yeah um but I didn't have time to But I'm sure I would have had that same thing, right? Mm -hmm. That second step of, okay, you're just, like, hearing, like, in one ear, out the other, just to write it down. But then when you sit here and the words come out of your own mouth of what happened, it's insane. Like, the
1: fact that humans are capable of doing this type of stuff. Like, I know how guilty I feel with little things. Yeah. Even if i ask somebody about something super minute,
0: I feel guilty about. I am, like the worst like people at my job joke with me about it because I'm the worst like I can I can back up anyone's lie like I can be like yeah Rebecca was literally born like with scales on her back that's why that's why she's (laughs) always facing front in her beach pictures yeah 100% yeah they 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 think it's like some kind of like you know deformation or something I think it's pretty cool Mike's pretty into it so I don't see a problem right but um if it were a lie about me, I can't pull it off. Yeah. You know, like I can lie about the craziest shit or back up anyone else's lie with another lie, but when it's me, so like, because I I feel bad. Yeah. I feel bad with people not knowing the truth. Like if I'm like with you and you come out and like, like at the mall and you come out in like a hideous pair of shoes, but you're just like in love with them. You're like, well, what do you think about this outfit? And you're just like lit up. I'd be like, oh, you look, you look great, Rebecca. (laughs) Like, you know I'd be I mean? like you, lying bitch. <laughs> I'd be like, well, if you were like, well, I don't know how I feel, you know, I'd be like, yeah, not, not, not the best, right? But if you came out in a fucking like old smock, right, and we're like, Lil, I feel like a princess. I'd be like, then buy it, right? Like that's, but that's not what we're talking about. I sent you Rebecca on Facebook. I found it because I remembered I had seen it on Facebook Um, when you were starting your story. I sent you the picture I was thinking of. So log into your Facebook real quick, on your phone, on your laptop. Uh, yeah. And just enlarge the... Oh, God, I enlarged it. I shouldn't have done that. That's the photo I'm talking about when I say he's staring into your soul.
1: I don't like that whatsoever.
0: You looking at it right now? Why is he... Why does he look like that? I don't know. But it's terrifying. That's like... I'm to imagine... Imagine that being the last thing you see.
1: Why isn't
0: Yeah, his eyes are black. They're black. They're I not mean, dark brown. I mean, very nice
1: cheek structure, but like,
0: yeah, the cheekbones. Yeah, but I mean, I don't know if it's like good cheekbones or a sunken face from drugs. Like, I can't tell. Yeah, mm. but it's insane. Like the fucking just that look in his face and like the angle of his head. Like that's terrifying. And it's interesting because when you see the police sketches that they put together there's two sketches that they released of the as you know like the night stalker mm-hmm. there's two of them and the two sketches look very similar but they don't look a lot like him interesting yeah so like we'll we'll post all this stuff and um you know you can take a look if you want to take a look while we talk like you can also do that even though we're kind of done talking now so yeah actually speaking of
1: which do you want to shout out our socials
0: yes i'm ready okay
1: so you can follow us on instagram
0: at just coolie things podcast our personal instagrams at rebecca ruper and at lily Baldessari. twitter jgt podcast facebook like page just coolie things podcast private facebook page just coolie things podcast group it's a group (laughs) I'm sorry. Not a fucking pain, under Grandma. This isn't <laughs> a fucking phase, Mom. What in the
1: boomer did I just say?
0: Uh, <laughs> you can't our- lie on the internet. No. Donate to our Patreon, though. <laughs> just Cooly Things Podcast.
1: <laughs> you can also buy our merch at...
0: rebeccarubercom
1: slash shop or TeePublic. Yes. And if you or someone you know has a paranormal experience that you'd love to share on our podcast, feel free to email us at
0: goolythingspodcast at gmail.com.
1: Yes, that is
0: just at <laughs> <as> gmail.com.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening, Boo Things, and we will talk to Boo next week.
0: Goodbye. Bye. And